0: Thomas trance on your airwaves it's a solo edition of Canuck's talk today we're flying solo without Jamie Dodd but we will get by with a little help from our friends and I mean our actual friends not just the pan flute has anyone else noticed by the way that as our theme music has become vibesy in a wholly positive way so the snowball has rolled down the hill. For the Canucks, at just about every level of the organization, including their prospects, over the past two weeks, we'll get into all of that. We're going to have Dan Murphy join us at 1230 to discuss the good times, the vibes around this team right now. At 1 p.m., we'll have Jason Bukala. Bukla, of course, is going to join us. He's the former scouting director of the Florida Panthers, longtime scout with the Nashville Predators as well. He's going to come on to talk about Tom Volander's uh, scintillating debut weekend uh, with BU and Jonathan LeCaramacchi's star turn as he's bounced back in a major way in the SHL this year. And then Harmon Dial, who was on site at Rogers Place on Saturday as the Canucks Defeated the Edmonton Oilers for a second straight game. He's going to join us and talk some talk about some tactical changes that he's noticed from the team, the buy-in he's say seeing from top players, and what's different about Elias Petterson's game. He'll join us at one thirty. Uh, we'll get into everything around the team and and with a particular focus on what we what I saw at practice. I literally just returned from practice at the Wells Fargo Center. And it was a really interesting one. We'll get into all of that. We'll, we'll maybe play some talk at audio and we'll get into some takeaways from what's been a very hopeful, encouraging start from this team over the course of the first segment. But first, let's pay some bills. Canucks Talk is brought to you by our dear friends at Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite and find them together online at D L E A M. Dot com. uh, we're coming to you live from the mobile Kintec studio. I'm, of course, coming to you from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. But Kintec Footwear and Orthotics is Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. And of course, over the course of this segment and throughout the show, uh, I'm going to need more than just a little help from my media friends i'm also going to need a little help from you my best friends our listeners you can get at me 650-650 at the dunbar lumber text line dunbar lumber with three stores to serve you in ladner on bridge street or dunbar lumber express at ladner center or arbutus in vancouver finally you can also visit them online at dunbarlumber.com all right so look There's a lot to get into, but I want to start with a blow-by-blow from today's practice. Because I I found today's practice to be truly fascinating in in a lot of ways. Lineup news, not much. You wouldn't expect much, given the way that this team has played and their results to this point. Plus a goal differential, 2-0-0, second in the NHL, if you go check the standings page right now. Uh, Very few lineup changes. Teddy Bluger continues to be absent is, is to me the big headline because he was obviously day-to-day. Clearly uh, something got evaluated, and, and he's now week-to-week. The fact that we haven't seen him skate with the team now in very nearly approaching a week, we haven't seen him on the ice since uh, you know the preseason at this point, um, definitely a concern and, and just too bad because Bluger was kind of flying, playing really well. Um, in the preseason and at Canucks training camp. And as Rick Tockett pointed out today, Teddy Bluger is the sort of player who really helps the team when they're under siege the way that this team was against Edmonton at Rogers Place on Saturday night. So he was absent. So was Guillaume Brisebois. Uh, no update there either. Uh, Ilya Mikheyev and Carson Soucy, however, did skate. And Carson Soucy actually skated in the lineup on the third pair with Noah Julson, No change in the top four. Juleson, Susie, third pair, with Akito Hirose skating as an extra. Rick Tockett describing Carson Susie as day-to-day. Day-to-day. So, seems like, um, seems like he'll be a game-time decision. In fact, Tockett explicitly said he is a game-time decision for Tuesday's game against Philadelphia. Look, as well as the Canucks have played, we've all seen what the third pair has looked like, right? Susie can help a lot if he's back in the lineup. Um, even though even though things have gone swimmingly for the Canucks, it hasn't been perfect. It hasn't been nearly perfect. Talked in fact, deeply critical of his team's performance in game two uh, after practice today. And the run of practice sort of reflected that, which I'll get into shortly. Um, but Susie looks like he could make his Vancouver Canucks regular season debut as soon as tomorrow against the Flyers, based on what we saw at practice, based on what I saw at practice anyway, looked like he was moving really well. If he doesn't play Tuesday, I, I bet we see him Thursday. Susie will play soon, is getting very close. Ilya Mikheyev also skated in a full contact jersey. He wore fourth line gray and he skated as, the, as an extra when the team really showed their lines. On defense, on the right side of Akito Arose, on sort of an extra pair that the Canucks cobbled together. Um, Rick Tocket still won't put a timeline on Mikhaev. It sounds like he'll play at some point on this road trip. You know, that's basically what the team has told us because of the fact that they haven't availed themselves of long term injury reserve in handling Mikhaev's absence. We know he's not going to miss 10 games, we know it's not going to be until November before we see him. But it doesn't seem like he's all that close. And one thing I'd add, you know, this is editor- editorializing a little bit, but the thing about Mikheyev is he's the f- one of the fastest two or three skaters in the league when he's fully healthy without the puck. Now think about what McDavid looks on ice and, and think about the fact that Mikheyev is, if not his peer, then right beside him in terms of skating ability at five on five. That's a skill that pops. You notice it right away. And one thing, as Mikhaev continues to work his way back uh, from surgery to repair a torn ACL, one thing I would notice is the, the burst in his stride isn't, isn't you know healthy Mikhaev level yet. Um, so obviously the club's taking it slowly with him. I still remain convinced that we're going to need to be a little bit patient with Mikheyev. He's got the intelligence, defensive know-how, size, battle-winning ability, and and certainly he's shown some finishing ability the last two years, that he can still be a net positive for this team, even if he's not flying about the ice the way that a healthy Ilya Mikheyev can and does. But but I do still think we're going to need to be patient with him, even once he returns. And it certainly seems like the team is being patient with him in managing his return to the lineup. All right, those are your injury notes. Now I want to get into the flow of practice because this was a really, really fascinating Canucks practice for me. And there's a lot that I can unpack, but I'll start with this. Practice opens with a feisty, high-intensity three-on-three area drill, which featured something that I've almost never seen in a three-on-three area drill. Tyler Myers selling out. Like, leaving his feet selling out to block a shot in a three-on-three area drill. Uh, that's all you need to know about what the pace was like. This was a very competitive um, practice session. And and this wasn't, like, an extended, looping three-on-three area, uh, dr- uh, small area drill where players were sort of taking their time and where the game lasted. Like, it was, like, maybe 30-second bursts and... and the players were really going at it, which which was fascinating to see. Uh, the The practice lasted about 55 minutes to an hour, all told, and ended with lines in the neutral zone. This, this practice, honestly, looked like the sort of practice that you'd expect from a team that was 0-2-0 in, in terms of the pace, in terms of the intensity, in terms of the fact that it ended with, you know, not a bag skate, but certainly, certainly one of those grueling fitness drills that coaches sometimes like to foist on their players. Um, there was also a pretty fascinating scene in practice where Mike Yo went over uh, some details, uh, something in a drill. I, I can't speak specifically to what he was going over. And when he was finished, it addressed the group and, you know, without repeating what was said, it was clear that the emphasis was Don't be satisfied. Keep earning your ice time. Not not keep winning. Like, hey, you need to maintain a certain level of work to keep getting opportunity. So again, for this 2-0-0 team, with vibes unlike anything we've seen in this market since the bubble, the Canucks land in Philadelphia yesterday Having been, you know, the talk of the NHL, Elias Petterson's second star, the Edmonton Oilers already shifting their lineup and they step on the ice for practice on Monday. And if this team was 0-2-0, that would have been the practice you'd expect. <laughs> like this was a deeply focused, grueling practice in Philadelphia. A, a, a new day, a new day for sure, based on how Talkett approached working with his players today. I found that completely and utterly fascinating after the practice ended. We talked to Pedersen. I talked to Hoaglander. I had a quick chat with JT Miller. I'll get into some of that over the course of, you know, the next hour and a half, but Talkett was the guy who I was most interested in because he was asked to sort of recap game two. He's had 48 hours. You, you know he's watched some video. And Tockett's commentary about Game 2 was that he wasn't very happy with how the team had played. Like, he, he wasn't. He just wasn't. Um, we'll run the audio so you can hear it for yourself. But he didn't like the way that the club, you know, he liked the compete. He liked the game management. There were things he liked. But he wasn't happy. That the Oilers had just tilted the ice so significantly that his team had spent so much time under siege, holding the fort, bending but not breaking against the Oilers. And and look, I think he's right. Right. And, and this is one of those things. I like to talk a lot about the macro versus the micro. And this is this is the thing. I loved Saturday's game as a viewer. And here's why I liked it because. The Canucks, for me anyway, start off, you know, the Oilers come out like a cup contender that's been wounded, right? They they come out hard. They score on their first shift, five shots on goal. They came out angry. It was awesome. And the Canucks slowly but surely churned that period in their favor. They had some good fortune. You need some good fortune to score two deflection goals in the same period. But they also kept the Oilers from getting a a shot on goal for the last 12 minutes of the period. Um, They were getting the balance of chances after that first shift, and they built a lead. And because they built that lead, the Oilers had to continue to press with a level of intensity that we just don't see that often in mid-October. Finally, the Oilers tie it, and then we get that very weird 2 on O goal where Warren Fogle and... Darnell nurse, just absolute rookie mistakes to set up a two on 0 for Pedersen and Stanika. And then again, the Oilers have to press and they tie it again. And then again, the Canucks take the lead. And the last 10 minutes of that third period, the back half of the third period, the back half of the first period for 20 minutes in that game, the Canucks played really well. But for 40 minutes, the Edmont- Edmonton Oilers were all over them. Now, even then there were things the Canucks did. In particular, I thought they did a really good job taking away the easy stuff down low, right? The Oilers got their chances, but they had to work really hard for their chances. And every time they couldn't take one, it's like you could feel the psychological barrier, the psychological weight of their loss in game one, of the fact that they were trailing, of how hard they had to work to manufacture offense versus the fact that the Canucks just seemed to get the deflection goal, get the 2-1-0. Um, you could feel that building as the game went on. I thought the Canucks managed the game really well, and I thought their best players competed really hard. And for me, you know, there's sort of two main things I wanted to see from this team out the gate. One, I wanted to see them approach it with due intensity, particularly because, you know, one of the reasons I've tended to have a fade position on this club is that I haven't seen their best players play with that sort of, like, committed, consistent winning focus and discipline and intensity, year over year, game over game, week over week, um, over the past three years. And, and certainly, they leaped, leapt over that bar on Saturday night in, in a really thrilling win. Um, the second thing is I wanted to see them start well. Like I, I, This team needs to start well. So getting that win, I think, matters. And yet, when, when the game is done and you sort of look at it and think about it and think about how much time the Canucks spent in their own end, about how rarely they possess the puck, about how many battles the Oilers were able to win in the neutral zone, in the offensive zone, to keep, you know, sort of churning that puck possession, that dangerous zone time uh, against the Canucks. You know, it's one of those wins where, in the micro, I loved it. It was entertaining. It was fun. The Canucks competed hard. I thought they showed real tactical noose. Like, I liked all of that. I thought they were intense. I thought they were intense, and I loved it. So in the micro, you can like it. But big picture, if you're winning games like that on a regular basis, you're not going to be winning them for long, right? And, and I thought Talkett sniffed that out. I thought he wasn't satisfied with it. He, he, he liked parts of the game, but he wasn't satisfied to win that way. That's not how he wants to win. He doesn't want this team to be on the back foot. And he practiced like he wasn't all that happy with the performance. Despite the fact that the club came away with two points. Now, I wouldn't say it was critical of the performance or no. You know what? I would say it was critical of the performance. I wouldn't say he criticized it, right? There's a difference there. He saw the good, but he just didn't necessarily buy in to the idea that the way the team played on Saturday was good enough. And, and I just thought that was mature, self-aware, a ton of fun and a really good sign that this coach has a very, very good idea of what it's going to take for this team to sustain winning hockey. And and it's more performances like, like what the club put together on the opening night on Wednesday in Vancouver and, and less, frankly, like what they managed against the Edmonton Oilers on Saturday. Now, we're going to go to break in about five minutes and the Rick Talkit audio is about 15 minutes here. So we're not going to play the whole thing, but his commentary on game two comes right off the hop. So do his injury updates. So we're going to roll that for, for a few minutes here just to give you a sense of how sober and realistic talk it was about the game and how that perhaps informed what was a pretty tough love approach at Vancouver's practice in Philadelphia on Monday. Let's roll that clip, everybody.
1: Uh, every day is getting here, um, you know, uh, I'll you know, try to be honest with you guys, but you know, there's a possibly who's going to play a game on, on, on this road I don't know which game, obviously the latter, uh, but you know, but he's progressing. Um, and Seuss had a good practice today, so he'll be a game ahead okay.
0: uh, After looking at the tape, you talk about wanting to continue to build. It's just two wins. What do you need to build on from here?
1: Well, you always think you take the negative positive from the game I mean, we're two and we're oh, 2-0 and we should be happy with the fact that, you know, we won our two games, but, you know, we're kidding ourselves, uh, that game we had, a few guys were, didn't, didn't, didn't I didn't think they played well in a sense, and they, I don't want like to say they didn't compete, I just didn't feel some guys were there, we had some guys really work hard. I know it's a team game, so it's, I don't want to single out guys, but I think it's important that uh, we understand the last game, which, you know, we didn't bend. You know, I thought it, you know, I know that he got two power play goals, but I thought a penalty goal was good, got five on three uh, timely goals. You know, a guy like Lafferty, who uh, I think has been a great addition for us, adding that stuff, um, key goals, but I think there's some stuff there. Our puck possession, we're, we're not holding on to pucks. We uh, have no battles. Um, and that happened. Yeah, yeah. I understand Edmonton, you know, they were going to come up flying, but I still thought there were some things there we should have cleaned up, and that comes with being competitive and holding on to the box. And I didn't think we were as good as the first game.
0: What do you expect to see from Philly in terms of the matchup? Well,
1: it's a John Torrella team. They're going to work their, their butts off. Um, and, you know, to be honest, I think they they got a good forwards. They got, I mean, I don't know if he says that about this team when really last. I mean, I don't see that. I'm being honest. I, they got really good forwards. I think is one of the best players in the league. I mean, you know, playing against us uh, last year, he was on the, he was all over us. I remember in that game. So they got they got some good players, and I like what they're doing. They're you know, they're, they're retooling this thing. And, you know, Danny Brier, Keith Jones. I mean, you know, I always have a soft spot for the Flyers when I used to play here. So I like what they're doing. You know, they're trying to get that family back in there. And I think the Mr. Snyder pays. So it's uh, they're heading the right direction. Rick with.
0: Bluger and brisqua but especially yeah. bluger because you know he, he tried to practice that was yeah 10 days ago now yeah. and you and booted him is yeah. there any further update was there some test that sort of changed his status or, or something yeah like well, he was
1: evaluated it's uh you know that's why he went the week to week mm-hmm. um know he's progressing but you know still in that week mode uh, yeah the protocol is it uh
0: is that tough for you especially given how good he'd looked throughout training camp in preseason.
1: Yeah, I just think the ga- games like their last game, he would have mm-hmm. been vital force Right. Because he's that guy. You know, he can hold on to pucks. He's good on the forechuck. He's a great penalty killer. Uh, he drags people into the fight with him. Um, so, yeah, those guys are valuable. With your commentary about Game 2, the, the win on Saturday
0: night, um, seemed like the competitive competitiveness of your group was there, and maybe some of the game management stuff, but is it the type of win where you know if you win four or five of those, and they look like that, you're probably in trouble big picture?
1: Well, I... I yeah, I mean, listen, every team, I don't care, you you know, Vegas last year, you know, they, they probably had some games like that, but they yeah. win those games, so that's the positive, <laughs> you know, that we didn't crumble, you know, we didn't bend. Casey Smith, you know, was a came in there and gave us, you know, some life, um, you know, Heronick and Hughes played a ton of minutes, you know, we took seven penalties, which you can't take. That's 14 minutes of a game, you know, that you shorten your bench. So that all stuff, but you can get away once in a while, but, you know, we, we can't do that at a steady diet. You know, you're not going to win those games. You're just not, but you can win some games if you stick together. And I thought we, that's the one positive that we did have some good game management and we, Checked half decently, you know, five on five. You know, it was obviously the power play kind of dictated a lot of the momentum. Yeah, back half of the first, back half of the third, probably like those ten minutes.
0: Yeah. So, talk. It went on and discussed a ton of topics, but we'll leave it there because we've got to go to break. We've got a loaded show. We've got Dan Murphy. We've got Jason Bukla. We've got Harmon Dial. We've got lots to unpack, and we'll get to it on the other side. You're listening to Canucks Talk on Sportsnet. 6.50. 6.50. Hello, and welcome back to Canucks Talk. I'm your host, Thomas trance flying solo today. Jamie Dodd uh, off, was on earlier, uh, but he'll be back tomorrow. Anyway, we've got a bunch of people coming up who we'll have Great chats with, including Sportsnet's Dan Murphy, who we will get to and bring on the line shortly. Um, You know, Murph's close with this team. He's around a lot. I'm really curious to get his insight into what feels different to him about this group, where the vibes around this team are so different, are, are such a marked difference from what we've seen, at least at the start, the outset, of Canucks' seasons in the recent past, certainly the last three years, where you could feel things beginning slowly to go off the rails. This year, it just feels completely, completely distinct, right? Whether you loved their game on Saturday or not, and, and certainly I enjoyed it from the perspective of a viewer, even as I recognized that, look, they're going to need to control play better than that going forward if they're going to win the amount of games they need to win to make the playoffs, like there, there was just a lot to like in the competitive intensity that you saw from the team. And, and look, I thought it translated at practice on Monday in Philadelphia. I thought you could tell how dialed in this team is at the moment. Um, I'm, I, I want to pick at this with Murph because I know that he's going to have some great insight. Um, I know it'll be a, a fascinating conversation. Let's, let's bring him on now. Um, Murph, thanks for doing this.
2: Thanks for having me, Thomas. So I didn't uh, pay as much attention to practice today because I was talking to John Morosi over there, yeah, the, uh, MLB uh, insider in sideline Reports, <laughs> doing the Phillies game tonight, and uh, does some NHL work as well. So I didn't quite catch as much as a practice as as you did, but I did. I did notice some uh, Rick Tockett yelling to telling players to earn their <laughs> f and ice time. I heard that. <laughs> I looked up for that one, uh, and of course I was caught, you know, a little unaware from the, the very first drill kind of like the, the third ice drill to start practice. Mm-hmm. We've seen that to end practice before with different coaches. I've never seen it to start.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And also I've never seen it with such short shifts or with such, like I've never seen a guy lay out to block a shot in that drill b- before today. <laughs> and, and I saw Tyler Myers do it today and I, and my jaw just dropped.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, I think that uh, if we're talking staples, uh as Rick Tuckett likes to do, um, you know, having a proper uh level of uh, competitiveness is at the very top. And I think you know, we see that in a lot of the practices with uh wall drills and battle drills. And, you know, I you still tend to see that the coach is not always happy with the players. Uh I think he likes their buy in, but I, I, I still get the sense he's still teaching and preaching. Uh, until they kind of get to the lovely wants. But, you know, certainly you can say uh, that uh, so far you have seen an uptick in, in those areas of, of the game uh, from this team. And certainly, uh, you know, an improvement even from their time under talk at last season.
0: Yeah. You know, after the practice, we were talking to Rick in the scrum, and obviously he's had 48 hours to sort of uh, process. The, the win in Edmonton on Saturday night. And what stunned me, Murph, was it sounded like he was doing, um, a, a, like, like his recap of the game might as well have been done by me, talking about <laughs> all the things that he was concerned about. Um, you know that I loved it, but do you think that distills sort of the, the standards and, and high expectations stuff that, that's been sort of floating around um, in how this club's been talked about by their head coach?
2: I do. And, and and I'll say this, too. Like I, I guarantee you that he is, um, you know, even though he has made mention of all the shortcomings from, from the team's game on Saturday night, you know that he's proud of the way they, they got it out of the victory. Um, because, I mean, anyone that watched the first game knew that Edmonton was going to be out for blood in the second game, especially at the start. And when they scored less than a minute in, I think everyone said, "Uh uh-oh, here we go. And and you saw, like, tweets to that effect. Um, And I think that if that would have happened, well, I mean, geez, we saw it happen at this time last year, (laughs) it can totally go off the rails for this group, and it had uh, in the past, and it didn't this time. So even though they they got caved in, let's be honest, uh, on the shot sheet and shot attempts uh, and everything, uh, they managed to find a way to win that hockey game. Did they deserve it? Like I, I didn't look at the old deserve to win a meter. I guarantee it wasn't <laughs> high on the Canucks side. I never do. Uh, I never do. <laughs> you know, no, but, uh, but they did find a way to win. And I think that's, you know, it, you find certain moments in games where you need to be better than the other team. And I think Casey to Smith helped. And I think that, you know, the five on three for 53 seconds, you know, midway through the third was the other key moment in that game. Mm. And getting through that was, you know, because they won that one minute, uh, you know, it, uh, it helped them win the entire game. And I think the coach would be proud of the fact that they bent but didn't break, but still observing that, you know, you can't have games go like that because you're going to lose uh, 9 out of 10.
0: Yeah, and it's one of those things for me anyway where I still love the result. If you gonna, you're gonna have one out of 10 games that, that look like that inevitably where the other team throws their fastball and you're under siege for at least a period or a portion of it, um, you know the, the, the point is is not to have those snowball and not to have like four games like that in 10, right? Um, yeah. with, with, uh, with the Canucks anyway, aside from, aside from talk it, and you know what let me phrase it to you this way. there's, there's like this old maxim. That, that, that I've heard you know, old hockey guys and, and younger hockey guys sort of say, which is uh, over time, a team will take on the personality of their best players or their head coach. Um, do you think we're seeing some of Tokit's personality imprinted onto this team? And, and if not, how do you explain the difference in vibes we've seen this year from what we've seen in the recent past?
2: Well, I'll say one thing. I'm sure we'll see um, you know, some of his personality rub off on certain players. There's no question. And I, I think probably a guy like J.T. Miller has a lot of that personality in him already, right? Um, but just the fact that you mentioned you saw you know, Tyler Myers in practice laying out to block a shot, these certain things, uh, and I think it's what it is is that they take it on his personality because this is what he's coaching and preaching, and this is what he wants him to do. So to have success and to get in his good books, players are going to have to do this. And so I think that rubs off. Uh, as for the vibes, like, I mean, I think so many players on this team and, you know, we've been around them a lot. They just want something good to happen, right? They want some success. They want to feel good about, um, you know, some results, about some games and really since the bubble, the only other real time would have been kind of when Boudreaux first took over and they won eight or nine in a row, right? Right. Where it was light. It was happy. They were winning. They were smiling. They were enjoying coming to the rink. They didn't mind talking to us. Like all these things <laughs> that can be so very difficult when you're losing all the time. And, you know, all these like guys like Brock Besser and Pedersen and Quinn Hughes, they've done so much more losing than winning. Uh, well, with Vancouver, that when you have even, you know, a modicum of success and a giant 8-1 win on a night when nobody expects you to win, like, you know, as media members, we're all, we were all kind of wondering how the first two games would go. Right. Like and I, to the point where people were saying, like, you know, you know, as long as they lose in the right way. right? That's what we're talking about. Can yep. they look good losing? Right. That, that's where the conversation was going. And they hear this. And then to win eight one uh, to get that confidence. say, you know what? Screw that. We can win. We can be good teams. You know, we, we we don't want to be known as a team that's just working hard and it's competitive. Now we want to win games. So when you have a little bit of success and then you win that second game, where well, you probably didn't deserve it, I think guys feel good about it. And it, they haven't had many chances to do that over the last five, six, seven years.
0: You know, I when you think about the big picture for this team, are we at the stage now, you know, a, a rebuilding Flyers squad, a Panthers squad that's short on basically all their D, a, a Lightning team that's... Um, you know, basically starting goaltenders from the couch, um, as it were. Uh, should this team be approaching the rest of the road trip and, and getting a little bit greedy now? Well, you know,
2: I, I think it's a dangerous thing to start mm. looking at stuff like that because maybe that's the way the Oilers looked at the start of their season. Right. Right. And we got the Canucks for two. I mean, this team is still without Mikheyev, uh not going to play tomorrow. Um, just getting Susie back still without Bluger, right. This, this team is still not at its, you know, it's optimal lineup. Um, so I would suggest that, uh, even when you're taking on, you know, the Flyers are probably, you know, should be the game that you looked at this road trip, and say, okay, there's one they're going to win. But I, you know, I, I wouldn't, you know, if I was them, I wouldn't be looking past this game to a Florida team that started, 0 and two, or a Tampa team that just you know gave up three power play goals. I think it was yesterday to Tampa, to uh, yep. Ottawa and lost five two. Like they can't afford to do that. They're they're they got their game breakers. It seems like they have their team game in in order. You know I think we all have faith in Thadger Demko, but this is still a team that's not full of elite depth, and I think it'd be very dangerous for them to. You know, look, and I'm not, I'm not saying they are. Uh, I'm just answering no. questions to look at the whole the, the road trip as a whole and say, "Hey, let's readjust our expectations." I, you know, I think they still have to look at the game in front of them uh, because you know there's there's every possibility for these teams to win games against Vancouver if they're not you know kind of bringing that workmanlike game uh, to things. Because let's be honest, you're not going to get games uh, all the time when Hoglander and Lafferty and Jack stickneaker are scoring goals.
3: It's no. not going to
2: happen. Uh, this team's still gonna have to win games via Thatcher Demko and via the power play and you know they're they're game breakers and so uh, there's gonna be nights when those guys are shut down and uh, you know let's be honest games are gonna be hard to
0: win what, what, what have you made of Hoaglander um, a lot was made of the fact that he you know starts training camp on line two and ends up on the fourth line to open the regular season and you know there he is with a goal at the top of the blue paint and Making a key interception and, and setting up uh, of the Lafferty rush, um, you know, in the third period for the game winner in game two. Uh, yeah. What do you make of where Hoaglander's at? Where do you, where do you have your expectations calibrated for him over the balance of the season? Well, you know, I, I'm
2: I'm like a lot of people. I really want to see him succeed. Um, mm. You know, I think that he's an incredibly hard worker. I think he takes whatever the coaching staff says uh, to heart into the off season. I think his testing was if not the best, right near the top. uh his physical testing he's always been like that. uh It's obvious that when he was sent down uh, last season, you know it, it it's not just uh, Tockett, but it was Boudreaux and it was green before it. i mean it these, these coaches all had the one thing to say: he's got to learn you know the defensive side of things and to play away from mm-hmm. the puck and if he gets that, I think he's got a lot of the qualities that that Rick Tockett wants. He's aggressive. Yeah. He's hard on the puck. He can forecheck. Um, you know, so these are all these kind of things that, that it's always talking about, especially in the offensive zone. Uh, puck retriever, uh, you know, win board battles for his size. Like plays much bigger than his stature. I think these are all qualities that could really endear him to Rick Tockett. Now, I'm not as good as others at evaluating how much a guy has progressed. Uh, in his game defensively, or if he's, you know, on the the right side of the puck more often than he used to be. But I would say if he can 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 figure that out, and if he's starting to, uh, this is a guy that can find a way into Rick Tockett's system, um, you know. And, you know, I think we all know that Tockett wants some meat and potatoes on his team, um, and that he probably doesn't want a lineup where Garland and Hoaglander and Beauvillier are all playing in the bottom six, Right. Yeah. So um, that's where you have to look. Can he beat out those other two guys? If Garland gets moved, does that open up the spot for him? Um, and I think that that's kind of the competition internally that he's got to look at for himself. And that's when Mikheyev comes back, right? Garland's on the top of the line right now. We know that. Um, but these are the things he's got to look in front of him. But I, I really like some of the qualities he has, and I guarantee that Taka does as well.
0: Yeah, and I mean throwing the it's just two games qualifier like very much in you know 72 point font at the top of this question but is there anything you've seen from the first two games because there's a few for me where you've been surprised relative to where your expectations were for this group
1: yeah
2: well first off I'm going to say you know, it's just two games. I don't care. We've had to talk about so much negative stuff. <laughs> yes. And I'm not going to apologize for saying it's just two games and talking about positive stuff. Yep. Right? That's just the way it is. I'm, I am I am going to – it's kind of like a playoff. Even season. I'm, I'm gonna doing overanalyze. that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to overanalyze every single game right now that they're winning
1: because we yeah. haven't
2: had a chance to really do that much. Um, but, you know, I guess the one thing I would say is that um, you know, they talk about playing as five-man units and defending as a group. I think that's looked so much better. Um, you know, I was shell-shocked in that first game, how good they looked. And I don't know if uh, Edmonton kind of played down to the competition that night. Maybe they thought it was going to be a little bit easier. Or when they scored the, the 4-1 goal, they were going to do what happened last year. But I would say the biggest thing in that first game is every time they kind of got hit in the mouth or in the second game, uh they didn't shy away they went right back and went back to work and kind of you know uh, got the upper hand in certain moments and that's the kind of things that we haven't seen from this group in a long time like the resilience and i for me the biggest positive takeaway so far for two games is just that for me that they uh when they've been hit uh they went right back and started to do things that, that made them successful in these two games Uh, and they didn't shy away from it so I I think for me that's my my big takeaway
0: yeah I I think that's right by the way like that for me would be number one on my list is you think about the Leon Dreisaitl parade to the uh, penalty box right no I don't think that's the parade he had in mind when he said cup or bust but in game one the loss of composure from the Oilers as that game went along and then in game two you know that that multiple mistakes that spring a two on O right after you've worked so hard to tie the game. Um, it just felt like they were the team making the young mistakes and the Canucks looked like the hardened, like the playoff hardened veteran group of, of wily winners. That to me had my jaw on the floor. Yeah. And, and I think,
2: I think that, you know, these players will buy into anything if they see that it gives them success, right? Like if a coach, if Taco was here preaching and they tried it for five, six games and they weren't winning games, guys would start to say, okay, why are we doing this? It's hard. It sucks. And there's no payoff. But as soon as guys see there's some success of how you play um, they're going to continue to do those things. And I I I would say like a group like Seattle last year, right? Not a lot of, high end talent, but they just knew that if they played that way, they're going to win games. And as soon as they saw they could win games, they kept doing it because winning's fun. And I think that's kind of the same type of thing we're seeing at least early on. And it's early. I don't, I look at this division and I still think it's going to be incredibly difficult to make the playoffs, but you know, I would say that my internal odds have gone up five to 7% from before the first game of the season after watching just two.
0: Yeah, I, and I think 5 to 7 percent's probably pretty close to the market, right? I, I mean, their playoff odds have gotten better. Uh, Dom LeCision's model likes them about 6 or 7% more, so I, th- I think you're being realistic there. Murph, I want to I change gears just a little bit because tomorrow is our first regional broadcast on Sportsnet uh, Canucks mm-hmm. game, so we're going to have Shorty on the call, DT on color, um you know making making his triumphant return to the market eventually we're going to have ray ferraro mixing in uh, what are you looking forward to about this season and about working with the new team
2: well the, the one thing is that um i think it's a you know i think we were all you know a little shaken with the departure of john garrett i mean mm-hmm. that's tough to lose of course um i i was incredibly happy that as we know in this market fans want people that know the team and know the history and i think dave tomlinson uh, you know, he, of course, he was part of the broadcast group for a number of years before it changed rights. So I think for me that was a giant positive that uh, you have a local guy that understands the market, that knows the team, that still knows many of the players in that organization, uh, whether it be you know fun office or or some of the players on the ice. Uh, that I was very happy for, and you know, I'm and to say I'm looking forward to working with Ray Farrell because simply I think he's the best in the business. Yeah. Um, I've always said that you know you tend to learn something every time you watch a game that Ray does, and that's tough to do. And if you can get that plus a laugh or two, which Ray can make you do as well, um, then you know I, I think he's a great addition. If there was one player or sorry one broadcaster that could give a bit of a soft landing from from losing Garrett, I think it was Ray. So um, you know I'm, I'm really looking forward to working with Ray, and that's going to be in November. I think he's going to end up getting maybe 15 games this year, 15 yep. to 20 uh, and the rest of the day. So, yeah. And, I'm, I, and I think, I think so far with Dave in the preseason, he has been excellent. He's always been a good um, details guy, right? He, yep. uh, he does his homework. Um, I think he's more analytical than, than John Garrett. Uh, but I think people are going to be a little more surprised with his sense of humor and, uh, and, you know, his level of, of trying to provide entertainment, Uh, this time around as compared to when he was just on radio. So um, I'm excited for the broadcast.
0: Yeah, and and of course, built-in chemistry with Shorthouse, as they called radio games together for a long time. Uh, I'm certainly looking forward to uh, streaming it, even as I watch the game live tomorrow. Uh, Dan, thank you so much. Uh, To let our listeners know, you know, I don't ask you often. I, I only ask you when I'm desperate. You always say yes. We love having you on. Thank you so much for taking the time
2: no problem at all it's kind of like back in the days with alex Adler. i'd say you know alex i will ask you for an in-game or post-game interview once a month but when i do you better give me a 30 second answer so i'm kind of like the alex Adler of your show
0: (laughs) yep steady (laughs) long-standing record setting we we appreciate it dan all right have a good show thomas all right thanks man bye That's Dan Murphy talking about the positives, about the thirst in that Canucks locker room to have something to believe in. And I think it's very clear early on that Talkit has given them something to rally around. Now, that can be fleeting, right? Willie Desjardins once upon a time gave the Canucks something to rally around. John Tortorella once gave this team something to rally around. And both coaches got off to fabulous starts in their first seasons. So don't take it to the bank necessarily in terms of uh, getting over your skis about where this season is faded to head, but it still matters. It's still like, it's still something. Now, can the team take that something and run with it? Can they build it into something that actually matters? Can they maintain this level of competitive focus for 80 more games? Because if they can, they're going to make the playoffs. Right? There's a lot to play for. We know what the stakes are for this group, right? We know that Elias Pedersen is on a bridge deal, right? Uh, what, what's the point of bridging a star? What's the point of bridging a superstar level player? It's to have the means to maximize the talent around them, right? Like, that's, that's part of the stakes of the season. Canucks traded a boatload to bring in Philip Peronic, and he's given Quinn Hughes. The best partner I've ever played with per the Canucks captain, right? But his deal expires after this year. Like this is part of the stakes of the season. The club executed the largest buyout in the history of the cap era, total value on Oliver Ekman Larson to create cap space. Most of which like the cap benefit of that buyout, most of it hits now this year. So I think it's, I think it's, I think we should be focused on the positives In part, in part because, again, that micro-macro divide, right? Micro, the micro take on this team is they've got a lot of chips pushed into the middle on this year. So to get off to this start, to see this team buying in, to be performing in this manner, that matters. That matters. It's at least a sign that this team's small-picture goal of being competitive this year of making the playoffs looks like it may work. Now, the big picture stuff, the stuff that I've, I'm have i mostly focused on, right? The micro matters far less to me than the big picture in general. The macro is why I've been critical of everything from the Hronik trade to the Kuzmenko signing to trading picks for guys like Lafferty and DeSmith, even though I like both players, and see how they fit and eat. And the big picture is I'm still not sure about whether or not this team has the overall value in their hockey holdings to, to build a team capable of, you know, uh, accomplishing a more ambitious goal than simply being competitive and making the playoffs. However, however, if Tom Valander, who produced two points in his NCAA debut, is you know, even a .75 points-per-game defenseman as an 18-year-old in the NCAA this year, if LaKaramaki keeps on a, a historic scoring tear in the SHL, well, like, if one of those guys pop, heck, if both of those guys pop, that can begin to change the calculus. And, and what's been so fascinating about this week is it hasn't just been that the Canucks defeated the Stanley Cup-contending Oilers, excuse me, in back-to-back games. It's also that the Abbotsford Canucks have started their season hot. It's also that Volander's off to a great start. LaKaramaki looks like he's primed to bounce back and maybe then some after a listless D-plus-one season. That's what's made it feel like a snow week (laughs) around the Vancouver Canucks franchise. We'll get into all of that and more on the other side of the break. We're going to be joined by Jason Buchel, a longtime NHL amateur scout, served as the director of amateur scouting for the Florida Panthers when they drafted Barkov, Wieger, Trocek, Huberto, on and on down the list. Um, really excited to get into some of what we've seen from the Canucks organization outside the NHL level, and we'll do that on the other side of the break. You are listening to Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650.
4: Big opinions and good bets. It's The People Show with Bik Nizar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Hello and welcome back to Canucks Talk. This, by the way, is my favorite of the intro songs, the new ones that were debuting. It's like the rights-free version of NOS. Uh, Sign me up for this one. As much as I love the pan flute, this one's my favorite. Canucks Talk is brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find our friends together online at D-L-E-A-M-C.com. And, of course, I'm coming to you live from the Kintec studio, or the mobile Kintec studio, since I'm in Philadelphia. And our guest, Jason Bukla, who will be joining us shortly, is in Ontario. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics is Canada's favourite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Uh, also, just a reminder, if you want to ask any questions about Canucks Prospects, Uh, text in and we'll throw them at Jason Bukla, 650-650. That's the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver or visit them online at DunbarLumber.com. All right, we're going to bring Bukla into the show. My good pal, Books, how are you doing?
3: Grant, sir. how are? you? Did I just hear you say you're
0: in uh, in Philly right now? Good for you, buddy. I'm in Philly. Yeah, I'm, uh, ba- I'm back on the road. Did Canucks? I flew out of Buffalo th- at at 6 a.m. this morning. Woke up in Niagara Falls at 3 a.m. and mm-hmm. uh, and was was uh, was at Canucks practice for noon on the radio for for 2 p.m. Pacific time, 3 p.m. local. And uh, and uh, I'm gonna talk to um, the Celebrinis after after I'm done. So it's a, it's one oh, of those. Oh, that's be, a good day. Yeah, must be, uh, must be mid-season form for me. I'm grinding away, my friend. <laughs> you
3: absolutely are. <laughs> absolutely are. And Philly's a good sports town right now. They got uh, the oh, Eagles are hot, and the, and the Phillies are, uh, are obviously well, the NLCS. They're playing so tonight. Cool. They're fair. playing tonight.
0: I, uh, the moment they clinched, I went and thought, oh, man, I better go see an NLCS game if I can. So I looked, 600 bucks for standing room only.
3: Oof.
0: Wow. I had not I was like, I was like, I don't even think I'd pay 600 bucks for first baseline.
3: (laughs) No, that's, that's pretty rich. That's pretty rich. I I don't know if our (laughs) listeners uh, realize this, but the cool thing uh, to bore everybody a little bit here in Philly, the cool thing about the way that they've set up the landscape for their sports teams, Mm. they've got the biggest parking lot in the history of sport because they've got those three venues right in the same parking lot. They got football, hockey, and baseball. It's got to be the best tailgating. Well, my friends in Buffalo would probably argue it, but uh, you know, one of the best one of the best tailgating uh, atmospheres with those three venues butting up against each other like that—it's pretty cool. Well,
0: and of course, a reminder to our listeners uh, that the Canucks have uh, had their game move tomorrow against the Flyers. It was supposed to be a seven p.m. or a seven o seven puck drop will now be a six o seven puck drop, uh, and that's to uh, not conflict. With the Phillies in the NLCS, I'm gonna to go to the rink at like 10 a.m. tomorrow in my suit and just stay there the whole day because it's gonna be Big, a zoo to get to good call. and from. Good call. Anyway, good call. let's let's get into it because the Canucks are having something of a snow day week, right? Uh, mm-hmm. It's like everything, every bet they've placed, they're on a heater. They're they're on a heater at the blackjack table here, and it's not just the team winning two games uh, against the you know priests. One one of the preseason Stanley cup favorite Edmonton Oilers. It's also what's going on outside the system, but let's start at the NHL level. I'm sure you've caught some of the Canucks games to this point. Uh, what stands out to you? What What's different about this team through two games? What What are you believing in that you've seen so far
3: from the Canucks? So uh, to the naked eye, uh, I've been enthused. Like I really have. I've, I've, I've seen an uptick in uh, yep. enthusiasm. I see I actually genuinely see some people um, playing with more accountability, Um, uh, clearly excited to be part of the equation right now. I I guess that's kind of a a, a soft way to put it. More excited to be playing to their identity. So, like, Brock Besser looks like he's energized, right? And he's clearly off to a good start. You know, Pedersen's Pedersen. You know, Horonix plus five, pal, through two games against the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, (laughs) that's a... That's a fascinating statistic in, in and of itself, right? Because as you know, if he hovers around zero for the year and brings the rest of his game, um, that's probably a small win, right, for the Canucks, I would say, um, And the plus minus ledger. But you know, there are some there there are some outliers. It's it's the energy, the buy in. Um, the uh, the shooting percentage is off the charts, obviously. They're finding pucks in areas and they're capitalizing on it. The power play has been ridiculous. It's like forty-four percent from two games. The penalty kill, let's let's be honest. At seventy two percent, let's look at the Canucks penalty kill last year for what it was, not very good and I think it ended the year. <laughs> you could correct me if I'm wrong. Around seventy, seventy one percent. It's horrible, right? Terrible. Awesome. Um they they go into or they play back to back against the oilers who have I mean, it's like the Harlem Gold Trotters, their, their power play, right? It's awesome to watch. It's a lot of fun. Horrible to defend. Your goaltender is on pins and needles the whole time. But they come out of that um, killing off 72% of the, uh, the the penalties against against the Edmonton Weathers. So I actually call that a, a small victory because that's the best of the best. Like, it doesn't get any better than Edmonton, right? What I saw in the penalty kill, and I'm interested to, to hear what you think, Um Timely saves. I thought that they I thought that even with the Smith on the weekend, I thought that he made some timely saves. And it wasn't that they were you know, his crease composure was kind of average. He got swimming a little bit or he got moving side to side, marginally outside the post, so he had to track back, you know, to make a desperate save somewhere else in the crease. But listen, he got it done, right? And he battled and he made he made some key saves. The other thing I thought was that really defensively I'm starting to see where certain guys are going to have a role that I can count on defensively in the penalty kill, leaning more up front. Like you know, like I think that um, that is going to be in that mix. I think Lafferty's is going to be in that mix. Um, I'm starting to see more definition in the lineup, so I was really happy about that. And um, you know, the numbers, the underlying numbers, they don't look awesome, but I don't. Want, I want to. I want to put it in perspective. It was the Edmonton Oilers, a Stanley Cup contending team. I ran the numbers here over the next uh, 10, like last year, we know the Canucks got off to a horrendous start. It was, you know, it was, it was, it was tough. You and I discussed it in length, both on air and off air, you know, we were frustrated, right. As you, you, you're, you're more involved in it than I am, you know, right there. But at the same time, you know, like um, I was, I'm interested. So I'm looking at their next four road games, and then their string of home games, I see a path. I like to do things in segments, like 10-game segments. Two games is fun. We feel good about each other. Where are we going to go for the next four road games? I think that they can split, which means that they could go three and two on this little road trip, five games. And then they can come home against uh, St. Louis, the Rangers, and Las Vegas. And uh, I think <laughs> they go on a, a one-gamer a one in San Jose after that. But I, I see a path to like seven and three here. I really, I really do. And, yeah. um, you know, six and four, seven and three. And if you are in that type of uh, territory after a 10-game segment to start the year compared to years gone by, um, what a huge win that would be and a nice start. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves, but I feel really way better today than I did a year ago.
0: Yeah, and uh, better than I did a week ago. Um, on the, on the pe- penalty kill in particular, Books, it feels like to me the, 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 the easy seam passes are gone. Right. Like the Canucks are deflecting enough of those that I think teams are going to struggle to get exactly what they want (laughs) against this PK the way they did every single time out last year. It just feels like teams have to work harder to get those chances. The Oilers still got some of them, Um, but I mean, a McDavid sort of giveaway at a scramble at the net front, Dreisaitl making just an absolute world-class shot, Ryan Nugent-Hopkins, that that was really the only breakdown goal that the Oilers scored on the PK. It just felt like the Oilers, even though they generated, which they'll do because they're maybe the best all-time, nothing came easy to them. And that, to me, felt like a huge departure, a huge sign of improvement from this penalty-killing group. Books, I got you Okay, Books has dropped. We'll get him back shortly. Anyway, that's my thoughts on the Canucks PK. We'll we'll have Books back in two seconds. And we'll get his response to the Canucks PK and then we'll move on to prospect talk. Books, you're back? I'm back. I don't know. Is that you or me? Is that you or me? Ah, I, I'm remote, so it might be me, man. Like, don't worry about it. We'll we'll roll with the punches. <laughs> I just um, more than anything I was just saying it felt like the Oilers had to work really hard on the PK Uh, the easy seam stuff is gone and and really if you break down the the Oilers penalty killing goals like for me it's Dreisaitl makes a world-class shot that's a that's a one guy in the world makes that play shot Um, McDavid finds a loose puck some loose change off a scramble Um, you know that's that's just kind of a puck luck and then and then one breakdown on Orion Nugent Hopkins, you know, seeing I Rister from, from premium position, like one breakdown given that the Oilers had what 11 po- penalty killer, 11 or 12 um, pa- power play opportunities. That's pretty good.
3: I I totally agree. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, the, the Nuge one, the Smith might want to have that one back. It, it kind of got on them quickly, but yeah, like they the McDavid one, especially like that could go either way. That's just a 50, 50 puck. Right. So I don't know. I I felt like, um, um, I felt like the Canucks have been pressuring the play more. So when it comes up top or even when it gets out to the flank, I feel like the bodies involved on their kill are more active. They're jumping out and trying Mm. to take away more space. And if you give up a goal against on the penalty kill out of a hectic net front play, um, I like that a lot better than being too stationary on your penalty kill and just, you yes. know, guys picking you apart through seams and stuff. So um, making the opponent work harder for goals. I'm, I'm on board with you there. Um, I don't know, just more engaged dancers. yeah. My, my my take right away is that the group is more engaged. That's that's how I feel right across the board in all situations.
0: I agree. Hopefully they can sustain it. Hey, Pete, speaking of picking uh, oppo- opposing penalty kills apart through the seams i want to ask you about hunter brustevich uh Mm. ohl defenseman who is just on fire top five in the league in scoring second in assists that's not among defensemen that's among all players uh what's going right for brustevich off the hop what are you seeing
3: well pretty much everything offensively he's played seven games he's got four goals nine apples um so on the power play, or even on it, even strength for that matter, I, I really I appreciate his deception up top. So when he catches a puck up top right now, it's not just like a simple cycle to the middle of the ice, jump it to the flank, and you know like just rotate off an umbrella or something like that. He's got a little zig and zag to him on the blue line. He's playing with a lot of confidence. So his handles are. He's getting a defender to kind of move one direction. He cuts back the other way, like a running back in football. Now he opens up a lane, whether it be a middle lane or, or, you know, from his weak side or a strong side lane down the boards uh, when he gets the puck and he's making plays. I'm telling you this guy, most of the teams in the Ontario league um, tend to defend uh, man on man and defensive zone coverage. So the higher up in the zone that the play is made, like Hunter's making them, he beats his first guy. And now somebody else has to jump to him to, to defend and he's identifying that open man that's been left and and making plays all over the place. So, um, he hasn't scored on the power play, four goals, all at even strength, um, that I've tracked and I've seen him play twice, but, um, the rest of it, playmaking on the power play, it's been, it's been really good. It's, it's fun to watch. Like the, I don't know if he can keep up this type of pace. I mean, like, but you know, he's looking like he could score 90 plus points, uh, and that would be nice. Right shot D, third round pick. We all know how everybody loves those right shot D's. Um, defending, though, I'm gonna, you know, I don't want to be Debbie Downer. Let's let's get a little bit better at containing around our crease. Get our body position. Let's front the guy a little bit better. There are times that we're just brushing off uh, off a shoulder pad or we're seeing the numbers a little bit from the goal line down, and uh, he'll have to clean that up. But as far as playing to an identity, he's been off the charts offensively.
0: Another Canucks defenseman was little used in the SHL. I'm talking about Elias Pettersson, who was, you know, very much on the fourth pair because they play with four pairs over in Sweden uh, really stapled to the bench and ends up going down to the Allsvenskan where he's lit it up. I mean, it's been positive for him three points in four games since going down a level. What do you look at in terms of that context? When, when a 19-year-old defenseman gets reassigned from the SHL and plays like this in the Allsvenskan, is it a negative that they didn't stick and carve out a role, or is it a positive that they're playing at a level where they're able to be productive, especially when their identity is more of a defensive stopper?
3: Yeah, no, I'm looking at it as a positive. I have no issues with him going down. He needs the minutes. He needs to play i think that this kid's undervalued in terms of what he can bring but his game when it gravitates to north america might actually bring more value to here than it does over there um you hit it right on the head like so at the shl level they have those uh, expanded lineups i call it so four sets of D pairings for example and there's only one puck when you get into special team situations like power plays etc so you know depending on what that coach is looking for out of the player they might not understand or maximize his his ability in a certain category. With 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 him, you know, two A D on projection, um, smart enough to uh provide some secondary offense, clearly at the Al Spenskin level. And for our listeners, Al Spenskin would be somewhere in between uh the American League and the East Coast League, I would call it, somewhere in between there, you know, depending on the on the team. Obviously there's some that are looking to get back to SHL so a little bit better. But um, this isn't a, this isn't a bad news story. This is fine. Uh, he needs the minutes. He needs the miles, and uh, and there's no issues with him there. And and as you know, the Karamaki was in yeah. Spenskin last year in Jurgarden, right? And his numbers were not great. And yeah, now he he's uh, yeah he's true. He had a tough year. And now he's in a rebro in the SHL, and you know he's he's off to a fantastic start. So there's a there's an example in reverse, reverse order.
0: So he's got five goals in 10 games for Oribro yep. so far. What does it mean to you for a player to deal with the sort of adversity he did? And, and I mean, you're, you're, you're familiar with the, with the, with the cohort models modeling stuff, right? The the way that yeah. I looked at it last year was no one, no one in their draft plus one who's scored like LeCaramacchi didn't, right? Like who has such pedestrian counting stats has really ever made an impact at the NHL unless they were a defensive center, like unless they were like Mikhail Backlund, who didn't exactly punch his ticket to the NHL off the back of his scoring brilliance, although that's come as he's gained maturity in the NHL. Uh, That to me was a huge concern when I was rating him as a prospect. So for a player to go through that and then bounce back like this, does that tell you anything as an evaluator?
3: Well, two things that stand out and I've I've broken them down uh in three different segments here to start the season. As you know, they start a little earlier over there, so I get a head start on him. And um the Mackey so some of the things, let's just back up real quickly. So last year, world juniors, you know, his off the puck energy, his support uh, coming down the half wall, even on the power play. Like if, uh, if they went up against a, uh, an aggressive penalty kill and it was a two on two battle, like he needed to get more involved and, and win a puck. Right. And he wasn't doing a lot of that. Um, and then of course he got injured in the back half, his whole mood and his body language and his compete was off. And I was critical um, about it, to be frank. So Um, what has he done in the offseason? Clearly, he's reset. So um, I don't know if it's the Canucks getting in his head from a player development perspective or he just feels really healthy after uh, recovering from injury and training hard to get himself ready. But more energy, more compete, more interior battle. Little things. So the, the, the easy stats stick out, right? He's an elite shooter. We all know that. So he'll shoot it off the flank. Uh, on the, on his weak side, especially backdoor one timers, or if he catches it, he can step to the middle of the ice over there, especially and zip a putt. Even on the strong side, he can go barred down. But here's here's this interesting stat for you: all of last year, he had four penalty minutes for the entire season, which tells me something. Like, come on, like you got to run into somebody or you know high stick, something has to <laughs> Even happen. Even by accident, right? <laughs> like, just by accident. In ten games, he's got eight pimps, Okay, this year, so I went in and I broke down his penalty minutes. Like, how is he? He's involved, Jancher. So, like, he's involved around the crease. He's involved on the back check. He gapped up on one guy, and, you know, he's light, right? So he's about to get run over, so he got a high stick up, and he high stuck the guy. But the point of the matter is that he's in the region now, so he's more involved in the entire game, more more bump and activity, which leads to more open space, which leads to him playing to his identity, which is uh, scoring goals and he's he's cycling the puck low to high. You know how a lot of times guys will cycle yep. late high to low and come off? He's, like, entering the rush. He sees it developing on the half wall. He comes back up top, a la Austin Matthews sometimes does this, and he catches a puck in the middle of the ice, and boom, he zips it on that, and he's scoring goals. So really positive uh, results from LeCaramaki to start the year.
0: One thing about LeCaramaki is, to this point, only two assists. Now, Uh, As you say, some of the support, some of the some of the uh, playing and and playmaking within the team structure looks better. But I I still always worry just a little bit about the shot, shoot first prospect type because they better be really special as finishers. uh, Or or I do worry that it can cap their upside when they get to the NHL, especially if their shot plays as like above average instead of super duper elite. And, and, you know, we've seen this with guys like Tolvanen, right, who take a while and have to yeah. add a defensive identity to really make it. Or, you know, uh, o- o- Owen Tippett, a guy we're both familiar with, right? Like the the, the player, the, these guys end up needing to flesh out other parts of their game and, and, and it can kind of limit them. Are, are you seeing enough from LaKaramaki as a playmaker that, that my usual, like, archetype concerns about the shoot-first type, um, you know, should, should that i should sort of abandon that as an area of concern
3: no i don't think you should i think that it's a very fair observation as a matter of fact but it is part of the development process so let's take the good for what it is right now you know his most elite element is, a, is as a shooter we, we already know that he identifies as that super concerned last year that even that was falling off right he wasn't getting pucks wasn't playing to his elite identity so let's build him back up with with more compete get them back scoring goals, do some of the things I'm saying right now, and then let's concentrate on that other layer because you are absolutely right. When you get to the National Hockey League, if you're, if you're a shoot-first guy and um, teams, the league's just too good. So if they know that off the puck they can be a little bit softer because you're a shoot-first guy all the time, your time and space is going to be even more limited than a guy who has to keep the opponents Mm. looking over their shoulder all the time because you can make plays like passing, distributing. So I think it's a really fair observation. So I would suggest to you that as we go on and we, and we come back and we circle back in a month on him, let's see how he's like moving a puck to the, to the wing or wherever in the middle of the ice, where is he going next? You know, is he getting to open Mm. space? And then, is he deceptive? Maybe slowing it down a little bit off the rush, looking for a late guy coming a la, you know, Wielander scored a goal for BU on the weekend where he jumped into the rush late. Yes. Let, you know, look for those types of things. Slow it down to make those plays. So, I think that's a really fair observation on your part, and it's really important as he develops.
0: Let's get into volander uh, before we go to break here. Uh, a goal and an assist in his debut, although they dropped the game to New Hampshire. Um, I don't know that New Hampshire is all that, um, all, all that strong an opponent. So y- you'd certainly like to see more out of BU on a team level. But on an individual level, uh, Volander's NCAA debut w- was a dream, right? Couldn't have gone better. What did you see? What did you notice? Uh, what are you expecting from him over the balance of his first season at the collegiate ranks?
3: I thought he was excellent. BU comes in preseason number one, a lot of hype around the team. Um, they laid an egg against the UNH. They lost six, four, they got hammered the next thing in exhibition play eight, two by the U S national team development program. Um, but Wielander, uh, you know, Celebrini, these guys, they played to their identities. And so he had a goal and assist in the first period alone. Um, and he played exactly the way you would expect him to. So in the, in the first half of last year, he, was, he didn't push the offense quite as much. As we all know, he's an elite skater. His spatial awareness is great. He angles guys, defense from the middle of the ice, so really good. He's added an offensive element in the back half of last season. He's picked up exactly that same spot now. He did roll out in the third pairing, which I think is going to change, especially after week one, uh, at even strength. Mm. Um, but, hey, elite feet... High-end hockey IQ on his goal, he killed a zone entry, bodied up to make sure that the guy was out of the play, if you will. So you know when you kill it, and then the guy's still coming at you. Now you want to make sure he's out of the play. The puck goes back up the ice. He jumps to open space, comes late, and he hammers a slap shot from the high slot, uh, beats the goaltender clean. So played exactly to his identity. I'm a huge fan. We've talked about this leading into the draft. Uh, that's a heck of a player. That's. This is a good news day. Like Brustowitz, right shot D. Well, Wielander, right shot D. Um, these are guys that uh, the Canucks should uh, should look forward to having down the road. And they're both off to great starts.
0: They, they are. The whole Canucks organization. It's been a very, very uh, encouraging last week for this organization. And I haven't got to say that on air very often Books since we launched this show three years ago hey thanks for doing this always great to catch up we'll do it again soon
3: you bet your answer enjoy philadelphia thanks uh, (laughs) thanks for having me on pal
0: anytime bud be well see ya that's jason Bukla recapping all the good news around vancouver canucks prospects and sharing some thoughts on the canucks 2-0-0 start we'll get into more of that on the other side, when we're joined by Harmon Dial, stay right here. You're listening to Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Hello, and welcome back. One final segment of Canucks Talk today. Recapping your two 0 and 0 Vancouver Canucks. We're going to be joined by Harmon Dial shortly. We'll get into all of the nitty-gritty stuff that is surrounding this team. In particular, I want to grill Harmon on what he's seeing from Elias Petterson and his physical assertiveness in particular. So once Harmon joins us, we'll get into that. We'll get into some PK minutia. No one breaks down the X's and O's. Like my pal Harmon Dial, and he was in Edmonton at Rogers Place. Uh, he saw the game live, and he watched it with his usual hawk eyes. So uh, I'm really curious to get his thoughts on this. Um, anyway, we'll have him shortly, and we'll get into all of it. Harmon is actually on the line; he'll join us right now. Thank goodness I wasn't ragging the puck all that well. HD, how you doing?
4: I'm doing great. Doing a whole lot better now that I'm in uh, Vancouver rather than uh, Edmonton. I mean, don't get me wrong; covering the game was a blast. But every time you you visit again a city like Edmonton, you just come back and you're like, "Wow, Vancouver's beautiful." Wow! Did you go to the Joey's? No, no. That I, I, don't, I don't think Edmonton only has a few hot spots. So I'll I'll let them enjoy their their Joey's there. Boston pizza? No, a craft. <laughs> Man.
0: <laughs> oh, I like craft actually. Great spot. Um, all right. Well, I'm glad you had a terrible time in Edmonton. I'm glad you had a good time covering the game though, because that's what I need to pick at here. I want to know what you saw and I want to know the nitty gritty. And I want to start with the NHL's second star of the week, Elias Petterson. The points to me are superfluous. What stands out is the way this player, who spent years being asked about his weight, has started to throw it around. What are you seeing from Petterson in terms of his physical assertiveness in the early going?
4: Yeah, I mean, Petterson has been such a monster. And even if you were to totally ignore uh, the six points in two games he has, he's brought such a strong all-around impact in in so many little you know different ways I mean you think of the way that he set the tone even in game one early with that massive crushing hit on Cody Ceci who's a a big boy himself and then even little situations like Canucks are up 2-0 but Edmonton has a a late uh, late period power play in game one and it's Elias Pettersson who's going out to win that key defensive zone face-off to ensure that the Canucks can retain the 2-0 lead heading into um, the second period. And then even when you think about this uh, this past game of the weekend, the Oilers were just obviously basically spent the entire second period on the power play. were sort of do- dominating. Uh, David scores tied up. And then it's Pedersen that has the response setting up uh, Stednicka to restore the Canucks' lead. Um, there's just... It's hard to describe, but it feels like he's really developing and, and becoming the man. Um, he's becoming sort of the, the alpha, where it's not just about the points and, and what he's doing offensively and the slick plays, but what he's doing as the sort of leader of this team, being the guy that's used in every situation. And um, when Rick Talkett spoke after the game, outside of highlighting Casey Smith, Pedersen was the first name that came out of, the, came out of his mouth in terms of in terms of just how impressed he was um, at Patterson's, you know, play away from the puck. I mean, how many passes did he pick off um, Saturday night to sort of disrupt Edmonton when they were really trying to press and, um, and on a night where the Canucks were pretty heavily sort of beaten on the shot and scoring chance battle department um, Patterson was on the ice. And in those minutes, the Canucks drove six scoring chances, for and just one against at five on five. Like this is, just a. This has been such a dominant two-way performance with physicality, face-offs, just all those details sort of adding up.
0: How much is, of it do you think is him getting stronger? How much of it do you think is a mentality that's changed over the last year, maybe year and a half?
4: I think it's both. Um, in terms of the mentality, I mean, everything you sort of sense around, sense around him and, and just talking to people – Uh, who know him, this is a player who's extremely motivated and a player who wasn't like, sometimes after a massive breakout year, some players might um, subconsciously become a little complacent, but the sense and the vibe that you get around Pedersen is that he's that much more driven to take the next step. And he's, and he's hungrier to like, this guy's shooting to be not just one of the best players in the world, but I mean, he'd love nothing more, I think, than to obviously drag this team into the playoffs and, you know, be the type of player that's discussed as as an MVP candidate. And he's carrying himself accordingly. So absolutely the mindset has been there and especially with this core group as a whole, just being around them, you know, even in Edmonton and, and getting a chance to talk to guys. Um, I think there's an understanding that even think about Quinn Hughes' comments in in the preseason about um how they're getting how they're getting up there in age, like this is this is a group that understands it's kind of time to um, start delivering results. And I I think obviously Pedersen being the leader starts that way. And then the physicality, I mean, absolutely. It helps to be stronger, to be able for him to win more battles, be more assertive that way, uh, to throw his weight around a little bit. Um, And even sort of consciously working on face-offs. I think face-offs are a perfect example of something that, for a lot of young centermen, it comes with age. It comes with experience. So um, I think it's been a combination of both for Pedersen.
0: What are you seeing from the Canucks PK? You know, I know they got dinged for three goals across those two games, but I think when you unpack those goals, right, it's Leon Dreisaitl makes impossible shot. <laughs> Connor McDavid finds 50-50 puck under Noah Julson. Probably just an unlucky bounce there. That's a 50-50 battle, effectively. And maybe they blew a coverage a little bit on the Ryan Nugent Hopkins goal. So one goal that you'd kind of look at on video and be like, okay, this is what we have to do differently. This is a learning moment. And the rest of it is, hey, look, they're going to get their chances. They're historically good, but we pretty much made them work for everything they got. What, What did you see where the Canucks better in particular four on five?
4: Yeah, I think the biggest area is just that they are doing a much better job of having sticks in the middle of the ice in the slot to disrupt seam passes east-west. Um, that's an area where, I mean, through both games, there were so many times when you'd see McDavid sort of uh, tag back up at, uh, at, at the top of the uh, zone near the blue line and then do his typical charging downhill. And the Canucks were just able to... Sort of get even deflected a little bit, or even just to even if they didn't fully intercept it, just alter um, alter the the angle a little bit, or slow the pass down just enough so that um, you know the goaltender would have a chance to slide across. And that's one thing where when you look at how much the Canucks' penalty kill struggled over the last two years, so many of them were situations where there were sort of backdoor impossible. Uh, plays for the for the goaltender to have a chance on. Whereas you look at these you know two games, it feels like the Canucks as a result of them clogging uh the middle and, and those east-west passing lanes much better, they're giving their goaltenders a chance to actually um get square to pucks. And don't get me wrong, I mean De Smith was outstanding and um you know Demko was in, in game one as well and, and goaltending is going to have to be a critical part of the penalty kill. But this PK is actually giving these goalies a chance now. Um, And it's really encouraging to me that they've done this despite missing Bluger and and Susie due to injury, right? Because even look at, for example, um, the McDavid power play goal. It started with, you know, before even the battle, it started with Juleson having all day to essentially clear the puck. And he tried to sort of, um, pass it to one of the PK forwards on the wing, and it was just a brutal turnover, right? Um, you're with, you know, with somebody else potentially in the lineup. That mistake probably doesn't happen, right? So um, I think it's been really encouraging to see the strides that this um, PK has made through two games so far. Because look, it hasn't been perfect, but it's a notable, noticeable difference to the eye.
0: What surprised you so far? about the Canucks through two games? Like, obviously, we're not drawing conclusions yet. You and me, we need 30 games. We're going to let the sample pool before we start speaking with confidence. But what have the Canucks done through two that has you open-minded about the possibility uh, of a surprise or two based on, you know, your your preseason priors?
4: To me, it's that they're playing with a baseline level of, professionalism maturity and just overall grit that they lacked last season i mean you think about you know a number of key departments where there's been a night and day difference i mean you think about for example little things like i mean they're not little things but um you think about for example how many times did the canucks have brutal turnovers on offensive entry attempts last year where they're trying to thread the needle east west whereas in these two games you've rarely seen that right um, how many odd man rushes are they leaking, which of course is probably tied to them not turning the puck over uh, at the offensive blue line. It's, it's a huge difference in a positive way. Um, the seam passes and backdoor plays defensively where the goalie has no chance. Um, again, they were surrendering those in bunches last season and those have through two games been for virtually not there for the, for the Oilers um, at all. Um, and, and this is a, the most impressive one for me last game was When the momentum shifts in a game, the Canucks have been able to sort of weather the storm, right? You think about those first, um, you know, 40-ish seconds and Edmonton comes out and Evander Kane obliterates Heronic on the forecheck. Oilers pile up multiple scoring chances. Leon Drysdale scores. Orlers' building is buzzing. It's the home opener. Um, Last year's group would have probably folded in that situation. They probably would have gotten run over, um, they might have shot themselves in the foot and compounded those mistakes, and yet on Saturday they were able to again just weather the storm and um, through the through the final fourteenish minutes, I think they allowed only three shots on goal in that first period. Um, they got the response from Kuzmenko on the power play, then Hoklander gives them the lead. Like that's the sort of first period resp- response after, especially against an Oilers team that. Had Ekholm back in the lineup, that was obviously going to be pissed off and angry after the Canucks uh, obliterated them in Game One. That's the type of response that I would not have expected from uh, them. It shows a, a different level of resilience. And um, again, even after the Oilers were all over them in the second period, the way the Canucks came, uh, you know, came back out in the third, and um, they didn't, especially in the last ten minutes, they didn't allow too many grade-A chances. Right? That's the level mm. of composure that. Um, again impressed me and it's a type of overall sort of team fortitude that was sorely lacking last season that is really positive and encouraging to see so far
0: well so I I really struggle to explain the micro and the macro takes of things right so the micro take from game two I think you just sort of succinctly went over it the competitive intensity the composure the fact that the Oilers were the team making you know rookie mistakes while the Canucks looked like wily uh, playoff tested winners like it was awesome it was fun to watch it was impressive and yet if this team plays too many games that look like that especially in the middle half hour of the game um, they're going to be in trouble like they're going to be in real trouble if that's what it looks like on a night-to-night basis big picture um how do you balance that in evaluating where this team's at
4: yeah that's the million dollar question and and I think the the answer is we don't know yet right it's only been two games I know it's a bit of a cop-out answer but that's the honest truth because um look obviously Casey DeSmith or or whether it's Sacha Demko you you may you're probably not gonna get that type of goaltending every night um and look in terms of sort of moving forward and and what from that performance may be you. I think definitely the right side of the blue line is, um, is an area where after Hronik, you still don't feel fully comfortable. I mean, um, Myers just doesn't look cut, cut out to play in a top four role. And, and that really sort of worries me as a, as a bigger trend in terms of you want to see a way for the team to possibly be able to use him in, in less of a high leverage role, obviously, Noah Juleson had um, a really, really rough night. And, and so hopefully it was Susie coming back soon that, you know, Juleson can potentially be, be dislodged. But um, yeah, I think when I look at that performance on Saturday, you, it, like on the one hand, it's like, yes, that was a character win. And, and you're sort of banking on the fact that you're going to have to win those types of games to be a playoff team anyway. Um, and when you think back to, for example, the 2019-20 season when the Canucks, sort of last made the playoffs, they collected a few of those wins where they were outplayed, but the goalie kept them in it and they um, played sort of a mature, polished bend, but don't break type style of defense. Um, but you're also right that in the big, big picture, they're going to have to control play at five on five better. And, and that's where um, the blue line depth for me is still something to, to watch for because, um, when I look at why the Canucks spent a lot of time in their own end on Saturday night, it wasn't because of the forwards, in my opinion. The forwards were battling really hard. I thought they were, they, they did, they, they did a pretty reasonable job on the forecheck. I just thought the back end didn't do a particularly good job of sort of moving the puck, and, and especially the second and third pairs looked um, kind of shaky. So that's kind of what I'm going to be looking at moving forward.
0: Yeah, and, and how does Susie's imminent return impact your expectations or your assessment of Vancouver's depth issues? Because I agree, if you're going to take one, if you're going to do the, like, let's put on our dastardly Vancouver media hats and be like, cause for concern, you know, I do think the fact that their defensive depth, like the seams have already showed less than half a week into the season or, or just a half week into the season, you know, would, would top the list.
4: Yeah, I mean, he's, I expect him to have, um, hopefully, a, a pivotal impact. Again, in situation, I'm still, curi- I'm, I'm still going to be curious to see, like, um, is there room for experimentation? Because, for example, if Myers continues to sort of... Um, look, I mean, they've won two games, so it's not that big of an issue yet. But if they run into a patch where they're really struggling as a team, and, and that second pair... Um, needs reinforcements, then could you potentially look at, uh, again, one of Cole or Susie moving to the right side? Like that at least gives you um, another option to to work with. Um, and then the other thing that I'm curious to see is, of course, his coaching staff has been pretty um, adamant about their preference of, of lefty righty, but quietly on Saturday night, even though the third pair spent a lot of its time hemmed in, um, I thought Akira Hirose looked totally fine. In fact, I thought there were a couple of uh, pretty impressive defensive stops he made using his skating. Um, so if you're willing to go le- even lefty-lefty on a bottom pair and go something like Hirose with, uh, with Susie, um then all of a sudden I feel a lot more confident about the third pair than I did um, on on Saturday night. So absolutely, I think his, his return is, is going to be huge. And then we'll also see in terms of... Um, whether Cole, a player like Cole McWard, who by all accounts has started strong in Abbotsford, whether he becomes an option and how he fares relative to somebody like Juleson, who I, I, I just, I, I think you're at the point where you've got to look at other options. So, you know, that's, you know, Susie, of course, coming back, like that's, that'll definitely, I think, be a st- stabilizing sort of help for them.
0: Harmon, you and I are pretty slow to adjust our priors, right? Uh, just that's the way we think about the game. But have you adjusted your expectations for this team based on what you've seen through two games?
4: Sorry, what was that? Your audio was kind of cutting out Excuse there. Excuse
0: me. Just wanted to know if these two games have showed you something that has caused you to in any way adjust uh, your expectations, your, your analytical expectations for this team this season?
4: That's a really good question. I think for me, what does sort of stand out, and one thing that I'm continuing to sort of watch for is, it's not so much a tangible aspect, but more so, again, sort of going back to the professionalism and, and maturity um, aspect where, like, I'm really curious to see if, if that sort of um, holds up because I think in the past we've, we've always heard um, this group say the right things about we want to raise our standards and change the culture and, and all those sorts of things. But because we've never actually seen it translate to results, it's, it's easy to sort of, you know, hear those comments in the lead up to this season and not really put a lot of stock into it. Um, and of course it's only two games. So it's, you know, too early to draw concrete inferences, but just sort of being around the team, like I'm starting to feel some of the, you know, subtle signs that, okay, it, it, it does feel like this core ha- like seems to slowly be getting it. And, you know, obviously a lot, a big part of that could be, um, you know, Rick Tockett's um, sort of impact and, and him coming in and uh, holding the group more accountable, but, Um, Even looking at like the way Brock Besser altered his summer training in and and then came back in in much better shape, looks quicker and has had a a, a fantastic start. Like that's just that's one example of like, OK, it's almost like a it's almost like when somebody in their early to mid 20s or, you know, even a little bit later than that gets to the point where they realize they finally have to get their things together. (laughs) in in life and just sort everything out and it just feels like as a group that it's clicking for this group potentially um and that to me especially when you combine it with some of the veterans that they added um players like ian cole um you know Suter, and the impact that those guys have had in sort of in in just being the polished two-way pieces um you know through two games this group just has a more professional mature um, look to it, and again, it's only two games, so I'm not trying to draw conclusions from it, but it's something that is making me that that is making me open minded and, and 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 legitimately look me looking at this team and, and feeling more confident in that okay I, you know they could legitimately make a push for the playoffs here
0: There could be something here there's always something here with you, my friend. Thank you for joining me today. Always appreciate your insight. Miss you, buddy. I'll see you when when the Canucks return from the road. Thanks, man. That was Harmon Dial of The Athletic. Of course, you can subscribe to The Athletic and read our latest. I'll have a big notebook up with notes from Canucks practice, including some commentary from Elias Pettersson, Niels Hoaglander, and some Tom Volander, fresh Tom Volander content. That'll be up. Later tonight or first thing tomorrow, Harmon's got a great recap on Canucks game two in Edmonton up there at the site. Now go check it out. You've been listening to Canucks Hour on Sportsnet six fifty. Thanks for joining us for this solo flight. A big thank you to Dan Murphy, Jason Buchla, and Harmon Dial, my team of super friends, for coming on and helping me out. And thanks to all of you who listened, sent in your commentary, sent in your questions. We couldn't do it without you. We love you. We appreciate you. Jamie Dodd will be back tomorrow. It'll be a Canucks game day as Vancouver looks to go 3 0 0 against the rebuilding Philadelphia Flyers in the city of brotherly love. Keep it on Sportsnet 650. We've got a Patrick Alvine exclusive interview coming up on The People Show at 4 p.m. Lots going on here. You've listened to Canucks talk on Sportsnet 650.